Welcome to the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. We are back at the Mortar and Pestle. Today, uh, we have a super special guest, but we are missing our host. Mike Delisio is off this week, so we are looking forward to doing this podcast. And so if we run outside of the boundaries, it is completely my fault. Uh, today, I will be the host. I'm Sebastian Dennison. And today, I'm joined by one of our most incredible consultants. Uh, he is he's, he's the low-spoken, quiet, thoughtful, considerate, but as we like to call him, Uncle Bo Rambo, but also known as Bo. Welcome, Bo, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. He's part of our clinical consultant team. I've worked with you now for seven years. Seven years, yeah. And, uh, you know, we can talk about the last seven years, but I'm actually going to just jump right in. Um, tell us more about you before we get into the meat of the podcast, because I think everyone has probably spoken to you who's listening to the podcast, and they all know your voice almost immediately. So tell us, where did you come from? How come you've ended up with part of our clinical services team? Uh, passions and, you know, all of the good stuff, Bo. Sure. Well, um, so I graduated pharmacy school in 1999, and I went to work at a pharmacy on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And it was kind of like your old, uh, old-fashioned soda fountain type uh, pharmacy, really nice. We, we provided uh, retail compounding. We had a, uh, a little cafe um, and really good food. Um, but uh, the, when I got there, um, the first thing the owner did was to send me to PCCA. And um, I, had, I knew that they had done compounding, and that was one of the reasons um, that I uh, joined their team. However, I didn't know the extent of the opportunities, um, and I didn't know what I was going to encounter, but I came to PCCA and it pretty much changed my perspective on pharmacy. Um, I was super excited about my position. Um, I was excited about being able to grow the business, which uh, in a retail environment, um, uh, it's not as, um, you know, apparent in terms of growing your pharmacy, whereas compounding, you know, is marketing. The harder you work, the better you'll, you're, you, you will do. Those are the kind of things that I really liked. And then all of the, all of the different, um, I just thought it was really cool, all the different customized formulas that we could do that uh, we're not available from a manufacturer. The limitations that come from pharmaceutical uh, preparations, and so super excited. Um, joined um, that pharmacy and and worked there for a while. Um, and after Katrina, which was um, two thousand five. Yep, two thousand five. Um, things changed on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and I actually got an opportunity to move to Austin, Texas, and run a pharmacy, a compounding-only pharmacy in Austin. And um, 
So it was a super cool place and a, and a super cool job opportunity to only do compounding and really got to know, you know, all the, all the intricacies of compounding pharmacy because I was just, I, I dove straight into to the whole practice and um, all the while communicating with PCCA um, and I always wanted to be a consultant at PCCA. I didn't think it would be this early. I thought it'd be later <laughs> on, um, but um, the opportunity arose and, and I jumped on it. Um, I think one of the reasons that um, I transitioned to uh, consulting is consulting so quick was because I think one of my strengths is teaching and being able to explain things. And so I felt like being a consultant um, took advantage of my um, strengths. And so when I joined the team, I was super excited and, and I've just loved every minute of it. I've been able to uh, teach through my position. I've been able to learn more than I would have ever thought. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of Get in, in a nutshell. nutshell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting about the teaching aspect is, and I, I was kind of excited about sharing this part, but you've actually become part of our core training program. So back in 99, when you first came to us, you were probably like, whoa, this is, ah, and like a lot of people. And now you're part of that training crew. It, it was, it's really, sometimes I'll walk into the learning center and just pause and say, I cannot believe I am here and I am teaching when I was this, you know, green pharmacy student from Mississippi sitting in, you know, listening to Artie Mathis um, and just being awed by PCCA and, and the opportunities. And uh, here I am, um, you know, actually providing some of the same information to young budding pharmacist um so super super cool how life works out and uh how things turn out so well I, I i get to say this congratulations on filling out that white jacket so well those are very very big uh sleeves to fill so to speak and you fill them out very well you're you're an awesome addition to the team uh for the teaching core program but you are an exceptional piece to our to our clinical services. And the reason that we're so affectionate with Bo is, and we give him so many nicknames is because people f almost treat him like part of, and an extension of his staff. So that's the, that's the, the upshot of yeah, I th Bo's Yeah, I think of my members like, um, like my friends, um, the members that, you know, request to talk to me and that kind of thing. I, I really think of, of it as, as my friends and, and I go to work to talk to my friends and, um, uh, and you, you just end up developing great relationships and getting to know folks and, um, and it, it's just been great, but it's a, it's, it's a privilege to be able to go to work and talk to your friends. Yep. Agreed. So on that note, we're going to shift gears a little bit because since 1999 to now 2021, you have seen a huge shift in our, in our regulatory landscape in our, um, in our ability to compound, what we can actually do, the science that's following behind our ideas and where we're actually able to make inroads. And so we invited you today because specifically this is 
a kind of a, a discussion about how we can actually leverage some of our intellectual uh, knowledge or, or and what we've actually developed and evolved and how we can apply it now to a practice because you have such a depth of experience in a practice setting, compounding only, and how it kind of plays to what we can now use. So um, I'm, I'm going to start with a few easy questions and then we're going to get to it. So um, mainly this is a discussion about mainly about base selection and science and references and formulations, but we want to kind of set the, the, the groundwork. So um, number one, back in 99, uh, you were probably doing a lot of things by hand. Yes. And it was a lot of like, oh man, how do I make this work? Um, what have you seen change in just just in the last few years? Like what was the big shift that you saw fundamentally? I think the big shifts are... Um, having stronger standards to your processes. Um, you know, back in 99, I mean, we were using a counter that was adjacent to the dispensing part of the pharmacy and no, no powder hoods. Um, it wasn't sectioned off. Um, we were using, um, you know, we had to make our bases. Um, and, now we have um, powder hoods, we have strict cleaning procedures, we're cognizant of, of our powders and how they're, um, how they're contained. Uh, we're, we're looking at our employees and making sure they're protected. We're using bases that have science behind them that have properties that are engineered for certain conditions and so our game has stepped up tremendously and I think we have to do that in order to continue to compound to continue to grow this industry we have to provide value and we have to provide credibility and I think that's what we're doing. So oh, this is kind of an interesting part because I, I was kind of looking at the overall global piece. You, you kind of already touched upon it with respect to uh, intrinsic properties to our bases um, and, and the delivery and the science behind it. And so this is probably a key piece to the evolution that we've seen because now we're like, wait a second, it's targeted delivery, base selection choice and application. So... If it's okay, I'd like to explore that a little bit more sure. and kind of what your what your thoughts are on sort of the importance of the base selection. Yeah. So um, when we're talking about base selection, first we need to determine what we're treating. Okay. So do we want something that's going to work on the surface of the skin? Do we need something with penetration enhancement? That's kind of the first step. Do we need something that has mucoadhesion? Um, do we need something that washes off? Do we need water washable? So the, all the, these are, that's the first step is, is what we're actually going to be treating. And that's the first thing in terms of selecting your base is, is where that base is going to work. The other thing you may consider is stability of that base. Has the base been studied in terms of stability, 
both from a um, drug load standpoint um, as well as a beyond use date standpoint. Um, so when we come out with bases at PCCA, we consider activity, we consider stability, um, and those are some of the things that I would start with. I always say when you choose a quality base, you're making yourself different than your competitor. Your patient, the first thing they're going to assess is the base, the feel, the smell. That's the first thing. You've got to make a first impression to wow your patient. We put so much science and time behind the development of our bases that there is a stark difference between a PCCA base and another base. I also like to mention when you choose a PCCA base, I always say you get a two for one. So not only is that base going to be the carrier of your API, but it's also going to provide an advantage to that particular condition. You pick a base such as Zematop. In that particular base, we have implanted different agents such as boswellic acid that works on inflammation, avenanthamides that work on histaminic mediators that have molecular structures similar to common antihistamines. So you're actually getting activity from that base along with your particular targeted psoriasis formula or eczema formula. So that, that's what makes the design of our bases so important and so useful as, our, as part of our toolbox. And, and it is important to say, like, because I, I have received those questions before at the pharmacy as well as through clinical services. I've got a patient, they've got psoriasis, what drugs do I use? And we immediately both go, well, let's talk about where it is and where we're going to be applying and base selection as well. And people are like, oh, no, no, the bases are all the same. And it's like, whoa. And you've just described in really good detail as to why that, that's an important question that we always ask. Well, what are we treating? And then let's talk about bases along with APIs. And what is your intention? And, and, and. So this, this is great. So staying on this track, you also talked about science, stability, studied. Because that's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't hear enough about with, our, with respect to our R&D and our formulations team, um, to what sort of science is actually, it's not just the creation of the base, but there's a lot more that goes on post-creation. So is there, because you were talking about this before we started and talking about yeah. like, hey, this is what our pharmacy technician team does in the, in the formulations right. department. So um, just a couple, just one thing I want uh, the listeners to understand is when you look in our database and you see a formula, that formula, number one, it was designed by a chemist. It was compounded by pharmacy technicians in our lab, pharmacists and pharmacy technicians in our lab, and observed for 30 days. So we know that that formula is going to work. That's a big thing. That, uh, our formulas are not theoretical. Okay, they have been tested. So that's a huge advantage you have to using our formulas. We also have, uh, 
what we call Formula Plus studies or Beyond Use Date studies. And they have been observed for, depending on the formula, up to 180 days, verified through the most stringent testing protocols, what we call stability indicating assays, and verified through those means, which is what the inspectors are going to be looking for in terms of uh, being able to verify your data. So not only do you get formulas that have been tested and visually inspected in our lab, but we've also been able to verify that through the stability indicating assay process. And I think this is actually a really good point to, 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 to discuss beyond use state formulas and the Formula Plus studies. Um, we always put them out there for people and they're like, oh yeah, 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 they're 180 days, that's awesome. Um, that's a $26,000 study. That's number right. one. Number two, um, you've got bracketed versions and so anything in between those strengths can be uh, extrapolated to those studies in that particular base and any substitutions voids the data. And it's funny because I always get these calls I'm like, well, if we take out this and take out that, can we still use the data? I'm like, oh, unfortunately, no. Right. And so for base selection also comes with the ability to extend beyond use dates for patients who are saying, I want three months at a time or six months at a time. That's right. And then streamline your process in the pharmacy, streamline your work efficiencies. And then finally, it, it becomes almost a safety issue because if I can make up enough for, say, one month, um, not in anticipation of beyond prescription counts, um, but if we're, we're able to do that, we're decreasing exposure of potentially drug exposure in the powder form to our, to our staff. So it's kind of a three-for effect having those beyond use state studies. So the science behind there is really good, but it goes back to the base. Yeah. Again, still base. It, it does go back to the base. And so when you look at your cost in the pharmacy, your base cost, your API costs, those are all very, very low costs. When you look at your time cost, those are very high costs. So if you can design what you offer to physicians or what you market to your physicians or your fast movers in a way to where you're using either stability indicating assay formulas where you have good data or you're using anhydrous bases that are appropriate for the conditions then your time cost goes down, you're more efficient. So you, at the end of the day, we, all, we always looked at our um, logs and the way I assessed a successful day was how much did I pull from stock? Because I knew I was more efficient if I could pull from stock. If I looked at my logs and I said, well, we made more than we pulled from stock, then I knew that that was a less efficient day. Doesn't mean it was a bad day, it just it was a less efficient day. So if the more I can pull from stock, the more efficient I'm gonna be, the less cost I have in the preparation or in my pharmacy. And, and that actually brings up a really good point is because a lot of people are like, well, your bases are expensive, I'll just make my own. But I always think about the hidden cost of making your own bases, which is it's not just the ingredients, it's the time that it takes. I used to make my own van pad and it took like hours yeah. and gels and hours. And I'd spend the weekend helping, like I'd be like, I'm the base guy this weekend. I was just making bases. Yeah. And then they were there. There's not the science behind it. It was literally like, this is the, there's it'll a lot work. Of, yeah. There's so. a lot of misconception when you're talking about cost. Um, 
And a lot of times pharmacies will look at cost of bases or compare different costs of cost of bases. But when you take a look at your big cost, let's say you choose a base that is a subpar base. Well, number one, you're not going to be treating the patient as well. So they could be coming back for several refills for that particular condition. You choose the right base. You deliver the therapy efficiently from the get-go. Then your cost, again, is going to be down. Um, and the patient d- doesn't have this exceedingly high it's acquisition not, cost it's, to them. Yeah, and, and, you know, another example is... Um, uh, you know, Loxoral, which is our uh, powder excipient for capsules. The efficiency and the time at which you can put your powders into the capsules is much less than other excipients. So you might, there might be a little bit of a higher cost for the Loxoral, but you end up saving a lot more money based on efficiency and decreased time cost. And so you have to kind of look at things. Don't go for low-hanging fruit and think that that's, um, you know, comparing apples to apples. Um, You know, put a little thought. You know, we at PCCA have put the thought into this to make it an advantage for you. So, um, we're, we're not trying to make things harder. Yeah. We're not trying to make, yeah. put you behind the yeah. eight ball. We're trying to advance you. Yeah. So, um, it's hard to just, you know, communicate that sometimes. Um, and a lot, and once you get it, um, you're just so much more successful. The more you can be a partner with PCCA and our team, whether it's clinical services, marketing, um, whatever the service, the more successful you're going to be. I've, we just see it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I kind of want to jump back to the to the discussion about efficiencies and time. Uh, three big things that are the, probably the biggest time and money sinks are formula failures because if it fails, you have to remake it, so you throw away all of the product and all of your ingredients. Uh, number two wasted time in making it over again plus investigations and number three you're going back to the drawing board to try and make it work again and if you have two formula failures in one compound you've lost all of your revenue on that and now you're just like okay we're just getting it out so we we're making a patient happy and i think that goes back to tested formulas base selection uh making sure that what you're doing is like oh this is what what's being done we can make it work and so that's actually probably one of the biggest cost savings I've seen is lack of formula failures in the lab. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I always tell um, our students in the classes, if you change something, call us first, because you don't want to have to redo that. It may fall apart. Ugh. It may it may oxidize. Um, there's all, all kinds of different things that could happen if you do something different than what our formula states in the database. It's fine to change it, but just call us first and make sure that it's going to work. Um, Because again, we don't want you to have to remake that. We don't want you to have to dispense something. Then the patient calls a week later and says the compound separated or changed colors. 
because then that hurts your credibility, you know, the, then the, the biggest be, cost is if a patient calls a doctor before they that's call right. you. Then they call the doctor. They say they weren't happy with the pharmacy. And so all of this stuff starts to quote unquote compound. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so anyway, so make sure that you are selecting things appropriately. Um, call us. And we can work that, you know, work through that with you. And and that's kind of the fun part about what we get to do is we get all of these calls and we're always kind of helping helping along and making sure you've got the right tools. So um, don't be afraid to call. It keeps us it keeps us actually quite happy because we're like, oh, it's good to hear your voice and chat chat. Um, switching gears again, and we're going to kind of keep going. You started talking about Lox Oral and Lox Asperse and some of the nomenclature that we have. Um, and just people kind of get confused. Like, can I use this for this? Can I use this for that? And you've talked about base selection. Sure. What are we trying to treat and the properties of those bases? Um, and I just kind of wanted to put it as a high level. Do you, do you have broad categories that you're able to help people with yes. in their base selection? So, um, the, like the first thing you want to know is topical. This is going to kind of, this is just the simple first look at it. Are we going to treat the condition? Is it going to be a topical treatment? Also, you'll hear the terminology permeation enhanced. A lot of times, we're trying to use that a little bit more than transdermal, but they're both, they mean the same thing. So in other words, topical would be psoriasis treatments, dermatology, um, scar therapies, uh, acne. um, Scalps. Yep. Um, transdermal, you're talking about, we have to go through the skin. So we're looking at either pain or we're looking at something that we can deliver in a systemic fashion. When we're talking about transdermal, we're looking at bases like lipoderm, lipoderm active max, lipoderm anhydrous, permeate, those permeators are new anhydrous transdermal. Those are the bases you would select for those types of scenarios. When we're talking about topical, we're looking at Zematop, VersaBase, Clarifying, uh, WO6. VersaBase anhydrous. VersaBase anhydrous. Like, yeah, there, there's a, quite a few. Now, one thing I, I, I do notice sometimes on calls is VersaBase cream, although it is used for hormone therapy, is actually not a transdermal base. So when you're looking at delivering pain medication or high testosterone percentages, I would not use VersaBase for those particular conditions. Those are main, VersaBase is going to be mainly for female hormone delivery. We're talking about high percentage testosterone we're going to want to uh, select the Atrevis. The Atrevis was designed for high percentage testosterone. We get a lot of calls for doctors prescribing 30% testosterone, these tremendously high um, doses when the average male produces 7 milligrams a day of testosterone. The reason they're not achieving their results with with these compounded formulas is they're using topical bases. They're not using the base bases that were designed 
to deliver high percentage testosterone through the skin. The Atrevis was designed to solubilize testosterone and deliver it through the skin so we can apply suitable dosing and get very nice levels. And, and we have a paper on that. We have that information yes. available to us. And, and it's interesting because I usually see these screaming high doses. And the first question is, what base do you have it in? And it's usually something like, and I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but, it, you know, it, it's just like, oh, that's a base that was for moisturization as a non-pharmaceutical delivery system. Right. They're like, well, it's what I had on the shelf. And I'm like, okay, let's switch it up. And we can find that we can drop the, the concentration of the drug. We can get right. appreciable levels in, in the serum if that's what the doctor's testing. But the patient also feels great. But then they're also not having all of that dusting and t testosterone loss all over the house and the dog and the, the car and, you know, work. It's, it's, it's just such a dramatic change for those patients. That's a stark example of choosing the wrong base. <laughs> <laughs> Crisco. Yeah. Uh, let me... I've got a few others, but you know, Crisco, Crisco is not designed for pharmaceutical compounding. Please don't use it. Never, ever use Crisco. Right. If you see it written on a formulation, um, just give us a call. First, first thing you do. Exactly. Another one is, um, that I see a lot is, um, I always say magic. There's nothing magic to magic mouthwash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the oral formulations that we try to put in basic suspending vehicles just don't work. Um, that's why you need mucoadhesive bases. We did a study to, um, comparing mucolox to a, um, a similar base in the industry. We got 24 times better mucoadhesion by just using mucolox. Yep. Now, a common thing we hear is, well, it's, um, it's, uh, it's expensive. Well, you don't have to dispense as much volume of mucolox, and you don't have to use it as frequently. So in the end, it's really not as expensive as you would, you would think. Plus, you're going to get results, and that's why, that's why you're doing this in the first place, is to provide results to your patients. What doctors want to know is patient outcome. That's the number one thing that physicians are looking for when they talk to a compounding pharmacist. What can you do for my patient? If you're using bases that are not quality bases, you're not going to have good patient outcome. Thereby, you're not going to be getting repeated orders. You're not going to be able to develop that relationship to the extent it should be developed. And so if you want to remember one thing, think about patient outcomes. And patient outcomes are going to be better if you use the appropriate base. And this is something that a lot of people are always looking for feedback from the patients. The best feedback you can have from a patient is they tell the physician that they're better because the physician remembers or the provider remembers that immediately. And they go, Oh, that's awesome. And they'll pick up the phone and call you and say, well, what else have you got? You fixed so-and-so, which no one could do. So let's move on to the next one. And so base selection is key. Um, Mucolox should be called Magilox. Is that what we should we should be talking today? <laughs> yeah, we should rename it. <laughs> and, and by the way, just just to reiterate, when Bo said you're using lower volumes, the patient uses lower volumes so that you dispense a lower volume. So it cost consideration. It's like oh, instead of 250 mils of CCI, it's uh, 30 mils in a magi uh, in a sort of a Mucolox base. 
and they're using a fraction of the volume and they just like works it just right. works so not only in the in an oral sense uh, other mucosal surfaces i've actually had um members call me with therapeutic failures with using regular cream bases such as for vaginal preparations switching to a mucolox formula and getting much better results um, doesn't mean you have to go mucolox from the very beginning you might try the new allage um, or you might try VersaBase cream if the patient is not getting the results you have a base that's going to be 24 times more mucoadhesive than other bases. We know drug comes in contact with receptor equals physiologic response. The better you can couple that scenario, the better the result is going to be. And, I, and I'm going to cite literature because this is something from my background. It's 67% efficacy using vaginal estrogens is common, and that's cited in literature. Uh, what we see is when we're doing these mucoadhesive bases, we're seeing upwards of 95%, and that's clinical. It is not documented anywhere. This is reported by multiple physicians, and what we've seen, we're just seeing a better outcome. So if your patient's still struggling, sometimes it's just a change the base, change, right. change the delivery system. And the drug is the drug, either it works or it doesn't. But in a lot of the cases, it's getting the drug to the receptor site more efficiently and more yes. effectively. Um, you know, we've gone through rigorous training as pharmacists in school and we end up working with insurance companies and um, talking about plans more than we get to use our background knowledge on pharmacology and compounding allows us to use that amazing education that we all have uh, as pharmacists. And, and that's what we got excited about coming into pharmacy. And, and I can extend that to our pharmacy technicians Absolutely. and our registered techs. They have the same level of passion and they have incredible talent. And so we, we do have to look at it as this is, this is an opportunity to put those talents to work. And we're limited um, in some cases by getting the medication into the patient. And so compounding allows us to open up and, and still within the framework of regulatory oversights, ensure patient safety, but clinical outcomes. And it's, it's kind of a beautiful balancing act. It's, it's like it's a challenge every day. And it's, that's the best part. Absolutely. Doing it right, doing it safely, doing it effectively. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Bo, um, I probably have a couple more questions for sure. you. So, if I was going to say, and because we've been talking so much about bases, uh, favorite base and why? That is a tough question. Come on. Uh, you know, I, I like Pracasil a lot. Pracasil comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's super versatile. Uh, you can use it for wound care. Uh, if it's a, a shallow wound that's non-oozing, uh, you can use it for scar therapies. You can use it for cosmetics. Um, you can use it for topical dermatology conditions. You can use it in the vet world. Um, it has healing properties. It's anhydrous. 
It has a great feel. Um, and it's just super versatile. Um, I pro you can use it by itself. You don't need APIs in a lot of cases. Post-surgical scars, lacerations. Um, I mean, you can put poison ivy preparations in it. You can put, I mean, there's just so many topical options. You can also add it to other bases to impre uh, improve feel. Uh, a lot of times with lipoderm, I will suggest adding a little uh, Praxil <laughs> to it. I um, know. I think I've stolen that from you. It's yeah. like two to five percent Praxil makes what everything happened, sexy. Yeah, because <laughs> what happens is you get that you know uh, that gritty feel sometimes when when physicians are ordering high API loads. Um, we've kind of done we've 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 done what we can do with our emulsification systems. Um, we add a little Praxil, and it just makes all the difference in the world. So the versatility, the, the ability to add to other bases, uh, its functionality in treating conditions, healing, because what it, another thing that it does is it prevents water loss from areas. So by doing that, it keeps areas well hydrated, thereby increasing healing time. Um, also helps to uh, differentiate collagen rebuilding. So when the patient heals, you don't have the scarring, you don't have to build up collagen. Um, there's just so many applications to it. So it's, it's probably my favorite. So it's funny because the skin is the largest organ of the body and we all have skin. So there's always a role. So on that note, do you have a specific case that you can think of where you were able to assist the pharmacy in developing a uh, compound and you were able to, to see a success. Is there oh, something absolutely. that comes to mind? Uh, uh, constantly. Um, we had one patient that um, had a um, severe dog bite and we instituted a Pracacil formula and we added um, ketodafin and naltrexone. And it was in a young patient, and they were super worried about scarring and, you know, especially in, in younger patients, scarring is a big consideration. Twice a day application. I mean, in, 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 in a couple of weeks, we were seeing dramatic results. Um, after a month, almost completely healed. We definitely want to treat those about three months if we can, three-month therapies. Um, but there's, there's been so many instances where um, we've had success with that. Um, wound care, had some really good feedback on wound care, not only with Pracacil, but some of your more um, extensive wound cases. Um, actually had... Um, my taxidermist, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he's actually in a wheelchair. He's, a, he's paraplegic. And he had, I went to drop off um, something to get mounted. And uh, his wife was telling me he was just struggling with, with this wound. And she knew I was a pharmacist. And, and I 
I mentioned that I had a specific formula that I would recommend, but we have some hurdles because we got to convince the doctor it's the right thing. I'm, I'm a consultant now. I'm not a pharmacist, so you have to find, I mean, I'm still a pharmacist, but I'm not running a pharmacy, so she'll have, still have to find a pharmacy. So I gave her my favorite formula, which is a misoprostol, phenytoin, metronidazole, and polyox for some of these uh, severe wound care formula uh, issues. She ended up following through, getting the order from the doctor. Now, she, by the way, she was having um, wound care come to the house, and it was just literally standing still. It was not improving. Um, she got the she got the formula. Um, she sent me a text like probably three months later because I had no idea that she had gotten the compound and everything had gone through. And she was just over the moon. We had gone through a from a fist size wound down to a fingertip size. Wow. And she just could not thank me enough. And I was like, you know, just God had me in the right place at the right time, you know. And um, that's the kind of stories that are amazing and compounding because there is nothing like that formula on the market that you can get from manufacturers, from pharmaceutical companies. And so we were able to provide something Drugs that normally are not used to treat that particular condition, we're putting them in a mixture that's suitable for oozing wounds, the polyox bandage, and um, provide basically a miracle for that patient. And, and what's amazing to me is like I'm, I'm kind of chuckling because in my head I'm like, there's so many parts to this story that make me laugh. But... <laughs> Um, if you're, if you're requesting information, if you have an issue like this, you can contact Bo and he can give you the science behind every single one of those molecules and references. Number two, just so you know, Bo is an avid, uh, avid dog trainer slash pointer slash, uh, you know, just outdoorsman. Like, and so the taxidermy story, I'm (laughs) laughing because that's like, oh, that's Bo. He goes to the taxidermist. That's just not a surprise. But the more importantly is, no matter what you do with Bo, you're, you can take him out of practice, but you can't take the practice out of Bo. He is like the consummate professional and at all times just able to well, solve thank problems. thank you for that. So, thank you for that. So if it's taxidermy to dog training to dog bites hey, we cover or it all. anything clinical, you could always <laughs> contact Bo. Uh, I'm going to say thank you so much because this has actually been really fun and really easy. Uh, we haven't had Mike here, and normally he's got like a million questions, mm-hmm. so I hope I've done Mike proud. Bo, thank you again. You're very welcome. If you if you have any questions for Bo, or if you have any needs for base selection, you can contact any one of our team at any point. We're going to bid you adieu, and we're going to be back in two weeks with another podcast, and Mike will be joining us again. And if you are interested, you can find any of this information on our webpage. You can follow us on your favorite platform. You can contact or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And I am going to say thank you again and have a great afternoon. Bye, guys.